How many of you are ready to get in the book of Revelation tonight? You think it's tough right now? We're about to read of much tougher times. Don't sit down yet. Hang on. We're about to pray. I'm sorry, but I want to pray over the Word of God because this is God's Word. It's the God-breathed Word. And we want to pray over that God will open our eyes because tonight we're looking at time no longer. We're looking at uh, a really difficult hour uh, that this world is going to be experiencing, but God's going to take care of his own. I, I assure you he is. And so let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we now approach not just any book, but your book. We're reading not just any words, but your words. God breathed, breathed out by the Holy Spirit on holy men of old who wrote as they were born along by the Spirit of God. So Lord, because this is your word, we need your spirit to open our ears and our eyes and our heart to understand what we're to get out of this tonight. And we just thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him Jesus is coming soon. You can be seated. And let's... uh. Let's just do a little recap here before we go further. Last time in chapter 9. Oh, by the way, welcome to all of you. Which, which one is on? Oh, well, wherever you are, welcome to all of you who are watching online because we've lost our light up there. don't know why. But anyway, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. And um, we're going to be blessed. Be blessed there in your living room, wherever you happen to be. Uh, welcome. Now, uh, last time in chapter 9, we saw a terrible plague of locust-like creatures that were really actually demonic spirits released out of the abyss of hell to torture mankind for five months. Isn't that strange? Why five months? I don't know. But I know it's five months too long. Now, we also read that the Euphrates River has four angels posted there this very moment, right now, awaiting the day, the hour, and the moment they will be released to dry it up to make way for a great army. Is everybody with me? Because this is about the tribulation period. How long is the tribulation period? Seven years. It's divided into halves. Three and a half years by three and a half years. The first three and a half years are pretty different from the last three and a half years. The second three and a half years of the tribulation is truly awful, terrible. And um, we're going we're gonna to get there as we move along. So keeping that in mind, we're now uh, recapping chapter 9. We're about to be the, to the very center of the book. And we also noted that the world of the Great Tribulation period, the, the people of that time period, are going to be steeped in idolatry and rife with drug abuse, pharmakia, sorcery. That's what the Bible says. And now as we come to chapter 10, we encounter a mighty angel holding a small scroll. So here we are, the middle of the book. Here comes a mighty angel. John writes, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. And see who this sounds like as we read it. Surrounded by a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, his face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. Who's that sound like? Come on. 
Jesus. The Jesus we encounter in Revelation chapter 1. Just like him. So, I think it's him. As there was a solemn interlude in chapter 7, if you'll remember, between the 6th and the 7th seals. Chapter 10 is another interlude between the sounding of the 6th and 7th trumpets. Now, remember, 21 judgments are falling on a Christ-rejecting, godless world. They are the seven seal judgments, where the seal is open by none other than Jesus Christ. He opens the seven seals and releases what is in them. Then there's seven trumpets, followed by seven bowls of full of wrath. All right? So that's what we find in the book of Revelation. The vast bulk of Revelation is prophecy, future prophecy. There are those that contend that the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. And I say, really, show me anywhere in history where a third of mankind was wiped out after a fourth of mankind being wiped out. Show me anywhere in history where all the oceans turned to blood and all the rivers and all the streams. Show me any time in history that happened. It never has because it hasn't happened yet. So most of the book of Revelation is future prophecy, future tense. Now chapters 10 and 11 are not only the middle of the book, but the very middle of the seven-year tribulation period. Now, as I've already said, a lot of people believe, and I do also, that the mighty angel we see in verse 1 is Christ himself. His features totally parallel the Christ we find in uh, chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, where we see the, the glorified, resurrected Messiah. He looks very different from the Jesus that walked around on earth when he was in his earthly body. Okay? Now, John goes on to describe the actions of this mighty angel or of Christ. Revelations 10, verse 2. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. I want you to picture, look at the mighty Christ here. He's got one foot in the ocean and another foot on the land. This is a colossal, magnificent being being described here. It's Christ, the resurrected Christ. One foot on the sea, left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout, like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. Now, when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. Now, that bugs me. I want to know what they said. Right? I want to know what they said. I mean, come on. But he was told you can't tell. Now, I'm going to make a guess. I could be completely wrong. But I believe it probably had to do with the remaining judgments coming on planet Earth. And, and John was told, don't write down what you just heard. So you got seven thunders thundering, and there was a message in them, and, and we won't know what they were till we get to heaven. Maybe one of the first things I asked, what were those seven thunders? You know, tell me. Anyway, while we, uh, in verses 5 to 7, the angel makes a sobering announcement. Here's what he says. The time is up. Time is up. God is now going to bring history to a close. Folks, there's going to be an end to this thing called time. There's going to be an end. History's not going to continue ad infinitum. 
It's not going to happen. The world had a beginning, Genesis 1-1. It will have an end. And here we're beginning to see he's being told time is coming to a close. Let's read it. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever. That's Christ, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it and the sea and everything in it. And he said, here you go, there shall be time no longer. Now the word here uh, in the Greek, there's two words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos means duration of time. Kairos means what a particular time period will look like. Uh, You use the word kairos to describe seasons, times and seasons. So kairos describes what what a slice of time, what a season of time is characterized by. But chronos, you know, we got chronograph, chronogram. It's just talking about the extent of time. It's chronos used here. And it, it, and it simply means that um, time is up. Time is up. Time is coming to a close. You, 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 Earth's time is up. The time is up to repent. The time is up to get right. The time is up. And we're about to go through the final moments of history. And then it's coming to a close. It's almost like he's saying to the earth, your time is up. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. So now we're coming to the seventh trumpet that's about to blow. We've had the seven seals already open. Six trumpets have blown. Now we're coming to the seventh one. It'll happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets, John wrote. And as noted earlier on, seven is the Bible number for completion. That's what seven means. Eight is the number for new beginnings. Seven is the number for completion. Six is the number for man. Three is the number for God. So here we got seven. So he's letting us know things are about to be completed. The end time days designated as the days of the voice of the seventh angel with the seventh trumpet indicates that the last half of the tribulation is going to quickly occur. The last half of the Great Tribulation is commencing right here in this chapter. And much of it is going to revolve around the most important building in the world. And it's not the Empire State Building. Sure wasn't the Twin Towers. It's no skyscraper on earth. You know what the most important building in the world is? The temple. And it's going to figure big time in the last days. Watch this. We note that the mighty angel holds in his hand a small book. So Jesus, I believe, is holding this small book. And it's already been opened. And verse 8 begins, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, This is John going to the angel. Give me the little book. Wow, you got to be under a command of God to go to a being that's got one foot in the ocean and one foot on the land. He's colossal and say, hey, give me the little book. But that's what he does because that's what God told him to do. So he says, give me the little book. And the being, the angel says, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it's going to be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. <laughs> 
and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, talking to John, you must prophesy still, John, about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. That's the entire world. John, you're not done. You've got a second half of the book of Revelation to go. And you've got the final trumpet and you've got the seven bowls yet to go. So, John, I'm letting you know, you've got to keep prophesying to the peoples of the entire earth. And that's where this book of Revelation has gone, to the people of the entire earth. Amen. Now, clearly, this mysterious little book contains the events that are about to be described. John is to literally ingest it and absorb the information contained in the book into his whole mind and being. It's a perfect, beautiful picture of meditation. Meditation is you, you read it, and then you bring it back up again. It's the whole idea of a, chow, a cow chewing the cud. You get that? The cow eats grass. It's kind of gross. He swallows it. Later in the day, he brings it back up and chews it some more. Everybody say gross. But, but meditation is when you read the word of God, but you don't forget about it. When you read it in the morning, you don't just say, well, I read my Bible. But later in the day, we're to bring it back up and think about it and meditate on it. And, and it's when you mull on the word of God over and over again that you're meditating. Amen? So I, I believe the dual sweet and bitter taste means that God's word is sweet, but the judgments of God are bitter. Amen? I, I read the word of God every day. I, I go through the Bible um, once a year. I go through the whole Bible once a year. I've done it many years in a row. Uh, um, I don't do that to come over as super spiritual or to be able to brag about something like that because I'm not doing that at all. Uh, the reason I do it is to stay alive. Okay? I know, even if, if I weren't pastoring as a believer, I've got to assimilate that word. I've got to do what John was told to do. Literally ingest it. Think about what I've read. Mull over it. Think about what it's saying to me. I never read my Bible without a pen. My Bible is all marked up. I've had to come along with whiteout and white out some of what I marked up years ago so I got room to write more because I write in my Bible because, listen, paper and ink never forget. So I want to go back and see what I read in 2020 and say, here's what God said to me in 2020. What's he saying to me out of these verses today? Okay, so we're to ingest it, we're to assimilate it, we're to let it become a part of our being, literally, the word of God. Can I have an amen? I mean, meditate on the word. So John does just that, and he experiences a sweetness as it goes in, just like we do sometimes, but you think about what you're reading, and you go, wow, that's bitter, because hard times are coming on the world because they've rejected Christ, all right? So... We come to now the temple. As we begin chapter 11, it's important to note that from chapters 11 to 14, John seems to pause in the chronological, sequential journey through the book of Revelation where one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. You know, the seal judgments lead to the trumpet judgments. The trumpet judgments lead to the bowl judgments. There's a break in that sequential uh, journey through for about three chapters, and he pulls in tight on some things that are going to be happening during the tribulation. It's like 
when you're, how many of you have flown in? How many of you have never flown in an in a airplane? Anybody? Wow. I'm going to pray for you folks. And I'm going to get you a plane ticket. Two, two people. All right. But most of us remember, you take off. Remember with me now. You take off and everything is zipping past you when you start to lift off that runway. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. But when you get way high up, it's like everything has stood still. You know, and you're just watching everything just glide by. But then when you come to land, you realize how fast you've been going. Because he hits and everything, zoop, zoop, zoop. All right. For most of Revelation, we're going zoop, zoop, zoop. But in 11 through 14, we're gliding. It's like there's a pause. Jesus is allowing us to slow down and see some close-up highlights of the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, this is very important. First, he focuses on the end time, catch this, everyone, rebuilt temple, which is crucial to the tribulation period. All right? Very important. Revelation 11, 1 to 2. Then I was given a measuring stick. Now, here's John. He's being handed a measuring stick in his vision. You know, a, a ruler, a tape measure. And, and I was told, go and measure what, everybody? The temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers. But do you know that by the time John wrote this, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed? So there was no temple. It was gone when he sees this. Keep that in mind. And then he's told, and don't even count the number of worshipers. But don't measure the outer courtyard, for it's turned over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, hang with me. I'm going to explain this. Everybody agree with me that you can't measure what's not there unless you're having a vision? Now, he's having a vision, and he says, I want you to measure the temple. So you know what he's telling us here, that clearly the temple must be rebuilt. The temple must be rebuilt by the tribulation period. It must be rebuilt. So I want to take a minute and give you a little bit of history of the temple. Every Christian ought to understand what I'm about to share with you. You ought to get this. Let's go all the way back to Father Abraham. Had many sons. And Abraham, follow me now, was told by God, you remember, to offer up his son Isaac, his only son. It was a picture of God offering up his only begotten son, Christ. He went where? He went to the top of Mount Moriah. And there the drama of Isaac being spared by the intervening angel takes place. And later, King Solomon ordered his engineers to literally cut the top off of Mount Moriah. After a lot of time it elapsed, okay? Because now we're down to Solomon, all the way from Abraham to Solomon. But Solomon, when he went to build the first temple, he decided it's going to go on the top of Mount Moriah where Abraham offered up Isaac. So he, he ordered his engineers to, to cut the, literally the top of Mount Moriah off. And in an amazing engineering feat, they accomplished it in order to build the first glorious Solomonic temple. It's almost like Abraham wanted the first temple to be as close to heaven as he could get it. Right? 
And it became one of the wonders of the world. The original Solomonic temple, Solomon's temple, was, was just, you, if you and I could see it today, we would be dumbstruck. We would not know how to describe what we were seeing. They didn't even use silver. There was so much gold. I mean, this was a architectural wonder. On the top of Mount Moriah. Now, when the Jews were taken into Babylonian captivity, you remember, Solomon's glorious temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. And it happened in 587 B.C. Fifty years later, construction of a new temple was begun in 537 B.C. And after a 17-year pause due to persecution, work resumed in 520 B.C. The second temple was completed in 516 B.C. and dedicated in 515 B.C. Now, I know that's a lot of B.C.s that don't matter to you, but watch this. So 72 years after the first temple was destroyed, the second temple was rebuilt and dedicated. All right? You with me? Okay. Now, so here you got the second one. Now, remember, when the people that had been around for the first one saw the second one, the old men, they cried. Why did they weep? Because it didn't measure up to the first one in its magnificence, in its glory, in its size. And they wept. It was sort of like, wow, look what we lost. We're never going to get back the original temple. But they were told, don't worry, because the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory that was on the former house. Okay? Then you got this second temple. When was it destroyed? The second temple was destroyed in what year A.D.? 70 A.D. It was destroyed by the Romans per the prediction of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Why was it destroyed by the Romans? Why did Jesus predict the destruction, not only of the temple, but of Jerusalem? Because it was judgment. Judgment for what? Because they had rejected their Messiah. And not only rejected him, they'd murdered him. They carried him through kangaroo court. They, he, was, he was convicted on a pack of lies. They sent him to the worst manner of execution known to man at that time. He was hung on the cross, a totally innocent man. And the Jews had said, when Pilate tried to release him, they had said, his blood be on our heads and on our children's heads and our children's children's heads. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. Because this was Messiah, folks. This was God the Son. That's why it was destroyed. But in 70 AD, it was destroyed. So the second temple now is destroyed. Listen to what Jesus had said. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds right before he was crucified, he would never be in the temple again at the, after this verse. His disciples pointed out to him all the various temple buildings. But he responded, you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. 
And when it was destroyed by the Romans and Jerusalem was wiped out and over a million Jews were slaughtered, starved to death and slaughtered, it was a ferocious judgment. The Jewish people that lived through it were scattered to the four corners of the earth. This is very important. Please follow this history with me. We've got to understand this as believers because it's going to bring us right up to today. They became a people, when this happened, uh, without a country, exactly as Moses had predicted. Did you know that? Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. Moses had predicted the scattering. He said, Deuteronomy 28, 64 through 67, For the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. He's talking to Israel here. There... You're going to worship foreign gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods made of wood and stone. And there among those nations, you're not going to find any peace or place to rest. And the Lord will cause your heart to tremble, your eyesight to fail, your soul to despair. Your life will constantly hang in the balance. You will live night and day in fear, unsure if you will survive to the next day. In the morning, you will say, oh, if only it were night. And in the evening, you will say, if only it were morning. For you will be terrified by the awful horrors you see around you. And that's what Moses told Israel way back before God took him home. Has it turned out to be true? You better believe it. Jewish history fulfills this prediction to a T. There's been never been a place or a time in which Jews were not persecuted, despised, rejected. All we have to do is think of the Holocaust. And that's really, that's really just the most apparent thing. But do you know that anywhere the Jews went after the scattering, they were persecuted, they were made fun of, they were mocked, they were rejected, they were despised, they weren't received. Look how anti-Semitism has reared its ugly head again, even in our day, even after the Holocaust. It's everywhere in the world now. Moses predicted it, and it has happened. Now, jump ahead from 70 AD to around 700 AD, and you got Islam is born. Here comes Muhammad. Now, this, is, this matters. Watch this. Islam claims that at the end of his life, Muhammad rode into Jerusalem and ascended into heaven on a horse from the very spot where the Jewish temple had been before it was destroyed in 70 AD. That's what Islam taught. So their leader, they said, Muhammad, went to Jerusalem, went to where Mount Moriah had been leveled for the temple, went where the temple had stood, and from there he ascended on a horse. So they built the Dome of the Rock right there. Dome of the Rock is the number one place for Islam in the world. I've been there. I've been in it. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've experienced it. It was exceedingly oppressive. Went in there and it was just a couple of thousand Muslims on their knees chanting chants, bowing down. Okay? 
That's where the Dome of the Rock is. This matters. The Dome of the Rock has stood on the site where the temple stood since uh, the late 7th century A.D. Meanwhile, God promised through his prophets the Jewish people would one day be restored to their homeland. And against all odds, after being relentlessly persecuted, rejected, despised everywhere they went, and homeless for 20 centuries, Israel became a nation again in 1948. That doesn't happen. But it happened. After 20 centuries, it happened. It was an absolute miracle. And then, a few years later, we had the famous Six-Day War in 1967. And that's when they took the sacred city of Jerusalem again. But even so, folks, listen, the temple has not been rebuilt to this day. Now, we just read that John said it's going to be. Did we not read it? John said it's going to be. But what, what's there now? The Dome of the Rock. There's no question that God gave that land to the Jewish people, folks, via Abraham, beginning all the way back to Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Verse 7, again, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And, and uh, God proceeded to define all the boundaries of the promised land in Numbers 34, 1 through 12, along with many other passages. The boundaries of the promised land are laid out. Now, this brings us back to Revelations 11, 1. Let's read it again. Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers. This verse clearly predicts the temple is going to exist again in the last days. That's what we just read. Now, I learned a long time ago, let God be true and every man a liar. Who would have ever thought after 20 centuries the Jewish people would return to their homeland from all over the world and become a nation again? unheard of in all of history, but they did. So let God be true and every man a liar. The temple is going to be rebuilt. And you know what? Right there where it was. Somehow, someway, someday, the Jewish people are going to build the temple again. Now, if you do a little reading, you can go check it out yourself. There are Jewish leaders in Israel right now who have made up their mind. They are resolved. The temple is going to be rebuilt on the site where the temple used to be. They've resolved. The, the plans are already blueprinted out. They're going to do it. It's going to happen. You say, well, how, Pastor Jeff, will it happen? That gigantic dome of the rock is there, clear as day. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a limited war and it'll be struck by something and removed. Maybe an earthquake and it'll be removed. Who knows how? That's not my problem, and it's not yours. I'm so glad to be able to say that. But something will happen, and they're going to be able to rebuild their temple right there. Okay? Remember, Israel is God's timepiece. If you want a prophetic timepiece, always keep your eyes on what's going on in Israel. Israel is God's timepiece. And what's happening there matters constantly, evermore. So 
this also presupposes that old, the old Jewish sacrifices and temple worship will be reinstated because John is told to count the number of worshipers. So there's going to be the Old Testament system is going to be reinstated. It will be, it will be functioning by the time of the tribulation. Sacrifices, everything. We'll see later in this series, the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty with Israel. Now, let me tell you when, as we come to a close tonight, when the tribulation period is going to begin. Here will be the trigger. The Antichrist is going to cut a peace treaty with Israel and the Arabs. He'll finally solve the age-old Arab-Israeli conflict. And no doubt, one of the carrots he places in front of the Jews will be to allow them to practice their Old Testament rituals and worship again. Will he make a way for the rebuilding of the temple? We don't know. He could. And maybe that'll be one of the carrots as well. You follow me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it where you can rebuild your temple. I'm going to allow you to rebuild your temple. But though temple worship in Jerusalem will be restored, it'll be interrupted once more by the invasion of Gentiles. Revelation 11.2, remember he said, don't measure the outer courtyard. It's been turned over to the nations. Ethnos is the Greek word for ethnic groups, and it means Gentile nations. And in the second half of the tribulation period, Gentile nations will trample Jerusalem down for 42 months until Christ returns and stops it. And who will these Gentile invaders be? The forces of Antichrist, who will dominate the Middle East and Jerusalem for 42 months, a period of three and a half years, the second half. Now, we're going to go over all of this in greater detail as, as this series continues. But here's what the prophet Daniel predicted. Follow me now. The ruler, this, I'm quoting Daniel, Daniel 9, 27. The ruler, he's talking about Antichrist, will make a treaty, there's the treaty, with the people, that's Israel, for a period of one set of seven. Seven years. Catch that. Antichrist comes on the world stage and the way that he gains the um, trust of the world and the way he wows them is he cuts a peace treaty with Israel. And he brings peace between Jew and Arab. And he does it, and it says, for a period of seven years. The tribulation lasts seven years. It's the final seven years of Daniel's 70 weeks. A peace pact between Arabs and Jews will finally be realized, but at the hands of Antichrist. Do you remember the news? Do you? When Jimmy Carter tried it? If you were around back then? Oh, yeah, Jimmy Carter tried it. Remember when Bill Clinton tried it? Yeah, Bill Clinton tried it. President after president has wanted to do and has, have tried to do what the Antichrist is going to do. Can you imagine the fame and the adoration Antichrist will receive after solving a problem that has vexed the entire world for centuries? At the end of the first three and a half years, the Antichrist, here's what's going to happen, and I close with this. Um, 
So at the beginning of the tribulation, Antichrist comes on the scene. Now, Daniel tells us he comes on the scene with flatteries. He's a flatterer. He's a smooth operator. He's a smooth talker. And he gains the confidence of the world and of political leaders by flattery. Uh, he, he's a talker. And he begins to enter onto the world stage in the political arena. He's a politician. He's a political figure. His sidekick, the false prophet, will be a religious figure. I think, I hope I don't offend anybody, but I think it's very possible, a pope. Because nobody in the religious world has the attention of the world like the pope. Okay. Antichrist will cut this peace treaty. The world will, wow, what a guy. Can you believe this? He's brought peace. He makes the Jewish people believe they don't have to worry about being attacked anymore. So it's a peace treaty. But three and a half years into the tribulation, he walks into the rebuilt temple. He walks into the Holy of Holies. And he sits down. According to scripture, I'll read it to you as we go along in this series. And he says, I am God. The Jewish people suddenly realize we've been had. We've been lied to. We've been deceived. This dude, he's not what we thought. And when he does that, all hell breaks loose. The peace treaty is over. And the Jewish people get persecuted like they've never been persecuted before. This is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Daniel 9, 27 again, and I close with this verse. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifices and the offerings the Old Testament form of worship. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object, causes desecration, the abomination of desolation, until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. I've given you a lot tonight. You can walk away knowing this. God's got everything under control. Amen? And we're in incredibly difficult times, but we're also, if you ever wake up one morning and you see some, some Middle Eastern dude cut a peace treaty with Israel, start calling all your relatives that are still lost and witness fast because that's the trigger of the great tribulation. Let's stand together, can we? How many of you can say, that was a lot of information, but I, I think I got it. Yeah. You, you got to go real slow through the book of Revelation because there is a lot in it. But, but it, it's not impossible to understand it. Amen? Not at all. God's got everything under control. Christ is near, even at the very door. We're living in perilous times indeed. As it was in the days of Noah said Jesus so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man 
in Luke's gospel as it was in the days of Lot. So will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. In Noah's day, the earth was filled with violence, the Bible says. Giants roamed the earth. They were horrifically vicious, violent people. In Lot's day, sexual perversion was pandemic. Jesus said, both of those men's generations will characterize the final generation. I ask you, are we there? Does it look like it now? You better believe it. You better believe it. So let's lift our hands to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight. That you've got all of history under the control of your sovereignty. Nothing happens apart from your permission. We just thank you, Lord, for the blood of the Lamb that was shed for us on Calvary's cross. And that your only begotten Son died for us there. So that we could be redeemed. And we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, we thank you that we are signed, sealed, and delivered that the Holy Spirit has been placed within us as a seal of our redemption. And we just thank you, Lord, that we've been marked by God, not the mark of the beast, but the mark of the Christ. And Lord, thank you that sooner than we think, there's going to be a great trumpet blast and Jesus is coming back we thank you for. Can we just thank the Lord? Come on, let's just, just go ahead and break loose in some praise and worship. Thank the Lord right now. Amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you are glad you're saved tonight? Amen. Amen. Let's sing a chorus, can we, Ronnie? Lead us in, in just one worship chorus. Let's worship right now before we go. I love you, Lord. I lift my voice. Come on, everybody, lift your hands. Let's worship the Lord. To worship you, oh my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King. Yes, Lord. In what? hesitant to ask, but does anybody have a question? Oh, that's right. I've got, I'm sorry. I can't do it this time. I'm sorry. I have a filming. I'm having to do a video. I'm sorry. Oh, speaking of videos, let me send you out with some great news. The set for the studio that what? Oh, that's fine. Oh, we're good. I thought he was telling me I couldn't be heard or something. Okay, you're good, AJ. <laughs> All right. Um, the set, the beautiful studio that we're building so that we can reach people all over the world. The set 
that I've shown you a picture of is is done. And um, amen. The the room up there is finished. Did they do the the uh, they're working on today the grid? Okay, so the builder of the set is going to be bringing it to us, Lord willing, next week, and he's going to be helping us move it up there. And thank you, Jesus. The one that built it is the one that's going to have to set it back up. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But uh, so we're getting very close to being able to just push a button and be immediately on YouTube, Facebook, live all over the world. And and we're going to be doing all kinds of things, interviews. When there's a major um, event in America, um, I want to be able to run up and, and get on and address it from a biblical viewpoint minister to people and pray with people because you know what church our culture doesn't need a critic our culture needs a pastor you know what really our culture needs somebody to say I know your heart is bleeding over what's just happened can we pray and that's what I want to do so we're going to be able to do it and just a, it looks like in a few weeks we're, we're just about there so good news amen and the best news it's all paid for Amen. Is that you back there, Pat? Hello, Pat. Good to see you. He's a guitar player. I just met him last week. We love guitar players. Amen. Now, uh, let me pray for you as we go. Father, thank you for your blessing. Lord, thank you for this powerful word. Help us, Lord, to have our eyes on Jesus and to keep looking up for our redemption draws nigh. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll answer questions next week. God bless all of you. Thank you for coming. See you Sunday. Amen.